You all are looking fantastic. Every one of you, every single one of you, even you, Chad, even you, looking great. I want to invite uh, my wife up. Do I, I, I do that after I sit, seat them, yes? Yeah, yeah. Let me just pray. Let me just pray. I'm all thrown off. It's good to have my wife in the house with us again. Finally, it's been way too long. Uh, three weeks out of church, man. I almost thought for a moment you had backslidden. She's been in Australia. We've been in a series called Till Death Do Us Part. And today is our final installment of that series. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that it's been one sermon that has kept running over. I actually had more content I was going to share regarding marriage Good grief. I could probably speak every Sunday on marriage and never run out of stuff to say. Um, but I'm going to wrap it up today. This is my fourth and final installment of Till Death Do We Part. I got married when I was 20, September 24th, 1994. I waited a week till after I turned 20 because I didn't want to get married as a teenager. That's mature. That's, that's wonderful, right? Starting off your marriage, setting the date based on your birthday. Um, I didn't know anything about marriage. I knew that, I, I mean, I was pretty sure. No, I knew that I loved her. What I wasn't sure about was what love really was. Confused me for decades, if I'm being honest. I didn't know what it took to make a marriage, certainly didn't know what it took to be a father or to build legacy. So much I didn't know. And I'm sure that my parents tried to deposit things into me, but uh, I, at the age of 18, 19, 20, I was not as awesome as I am now. I didn't listen to people like I do now. Now I love, I love to get feedback and wisdom from anyone and everyone because I I've just found out that when you are a student, everything and everyone is a teacher. And so I didn't know what I was doing, certainly did not know that there were four foundational laws of marriage that I'm sharing with you today. And I'm here to tell you that 25 years into this thing, you know, maybe 21 years ago, we didn't think we'd make it this far. But 25 years in, I can tell you that I'm more in love today than I've ever been in the history of our marriage. I'm more in alignment with what God wants in marriage than I ever have been in the history of my manhood. So I have some things to share, not because I'm speaking theory to you, but I've lived some things. I've walked through some things. I've come out the other side on some things. And Travis, I cannot believe you're standing in the house of the Lord the devil tried wants to take you out. And you were in the hospital a few days ago and already back here. So, man, I just I bless him in the name of Jesus, Father, that there is complete healing over his body. I thank you that no weapon formed against him shall prosper. Whatever it is that the enemy has tried to use against him, that will be turned around. God, you are going to leverage that for a huge win. God, the enemy is going to pay, going to return tenfold any loss 
that has occurred to their family financially, emotionally. Fear has to go in the name of Jesus. Instability has to go in the name of Jesus. Sickness and disease must be far from their home, far removed from every person in their home, every person associated with this family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let the church say amen. Amen. Good to see you. I almost called you son. That's what being a grandpa will do. You'll call everybody son, even 30-year-old men. Son. I just want to help you guys. I want your marriage to flourish. I'm afraid that we're living in marriages that we, we don't even know are dysfunctional because that's all that we've ever known. Many of us in the room here today, we didn't have it modeled. We don't know what it looks like. We knew that we loved somebody. We wanted a marriage. We wanted kids. We wanted this. We wanted that. And, and, and we're striving for something, but we don't even know what a win looks like. And I, I want to help you with that today. If you'll just listen, I believe that the Holy Spirit will say things to you that go beyond the words that I speak. Can we just give him permission to do that today? Father, we come before you. I thank you so much for the people in this room. God, I sense just such a gentleness in the room. A gentleness that you just want to bring such healing to people here. God, you want to bring such healing to marriages. You want to bring such healing to single people. You want to bring such healing to those who have lost their partners, their, their husbands, their wives. You want to bring healing to those that have been carrying around wounds from past relationships or current relationships. God, I just sense a gentleness. I just sense that daddy has stepped into the room. So God, we turn our ears towards you. And we give you full permission to speak and say it and do whatever it is that you want to do in our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say amen, amen. You may be seated. It is good to have my wife home. She got in Monday evening. Carrie, if you want to go ahead and um, grab a mic, make your way up to the stage. I want you to give us a quick family update. These people have been with me through thick and thin the last three weeks. <laughs> every pound gained, every tear shed, every... Anyway, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Well, it is so good to be back with you guys. You guys are my family. So I'm, I really, really missed you. And um, I have to tell you that my baby granddaughter is just amazing. She, Her baby granddaughter. Yeah, <laughs> our, she, um, she is just, oh my gosh, you guys. Like I, I, my babies were not that, that easy. She's so content. And um, she's just so, um, I don't know, she's just a really content baby. And, you know, she had a few nights where she was a little bit colicky, but then the next night she slept just fine. So I think she was just, you know, having some stomach problems. But she um, most of the time just sleeps. And the first 10 days we were there, it just rained nonstop. And so I really hated it because I was bored out of my mind because all I would do is just look at River and wish she would wake up so I could play with her. And it just wasn't going to happen. And so, um, yeah, the first 10 days I thought, oh my gosh, I thought I was just going to be so busy with a crying baby, helping out. And I just had all this downtime and I was like, what do I do? I walked to the park, I walked to the mall, 
um, you know, just different things like that. But she's wonderful and just a precious, precious little girl. I have to tell you, one of my favorite moments um, while I was there was one night um, I was sitting on the couch and Micah was sitting in like the little love seat thing. And Rachel comes in with, with um, River. She had just fed her and she came in and she put her legs across Micah's legs on the little seat and had River in her arms and they were both looking down at her and I was like, oh my God, I get to see this moment. And it was just so intimate and so special. And I felt so privileged and just so blessed that I got to be there to see that, the love between them all. And I'm so grateful to my husband because I'm able to do that because of him. Um, and so it was just, just a beautiful, beautiful time. And then also, um, you know, I had opportunity for ministry while I was there. I wasn't really looking for that, didn't go there with that intention, but there was opportunities that were presented to me. And I couldn't help but think about all of you and think, God, I wonder if they realize the influence that they are having even all the way across the world. Because, you know, the Holy Spirit inside of us goes with us wherever we are. And... It doesn't matter whether we're next door or, you know, in Australia or at home. Like, God wants to use us wherever we are. And, you know, I was able to do that because of this body and this church family. And so I just missed you guys incredibly. I love the U.S. I'm happy to be back in the U.S. And I'm so glad to be back with you guys. Awesome. Thank you, Lolly. She goes by Lolly. She wanted me to be pop, lollipop. I said, baby. <laughs> it's cute when you got a little baby. Oh, lollipop. Can you imagine an 18-year-old boy at football practice? Hey, I'm, I got to go. My lolly and pop are here. You're what? <laughs> anyway, I haven't settled. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, anyway. I don't want to be the guy that doesn't have fun, but it doesn't feel right to me. <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, let's take a quick survey. How many of you were here last week for first service instead of second? You were here for first and not second. Anyone? Jill? Okay. And, and Marie? Well, what that tells me is that the Lord really needs you to get this because I'm going to repeat part of that sermon. No, I'm, I'm kidding. That's a joke. Um, I, I did not get to the full sermon in second service, just so you guys know. And so I need to back up just a little bit. But I think it was that good, Jill. You'll agree with me. Last week was so good that I need to back up just a bit and give these guys, get them caught up to where you are. I'm, I'm going to talk to you about marriage, Genesis 2, 24 through 25. These are the four foundational laws of marriage. We find all four of them there. I didn't know they existed, as I said earlier, uh, but now I want to help you because anytime you see marriage issues or problems, it can all funnel back down to breaking one of these laws. How many know and are thankful for the fact that airplanes don't just fall out of the sky, right? They don't just, oops, we hit a black hole, they're down. They fall out of the sky only if they break one of the laws of aerodynamics. Like, it's going to stay in the air as long as it follows the laws. Marriage is the same way. 
Marriage today is not a, mm, I hope it survives. Oh, I hope it works out. I, I just performed a ceremony yesterday between a family and the church, Michael Conacher and Audrey Parkhurst. They tied the knot yesterday. And they've sat through this sermon. He apologized to me that he wouldn't be here today because they're going to be on a cruise the day after they get married. And I said, Michael, really, I, it's all right. Just tie the double next week. And that's a joke. Relax. I said, Amanda, it was a joke. I said, no, it's, it's fine. He goes, no, but I really want to hear the last two, the last two laws. So he's really excited. But... The exciting thing for me was standing there and walking them through this covenant, knowing that we're all on the same page here, and they have a 100% chance of their marriage succeeding. It's not a 50-50. It's not an 80-20. It's not a 90-10. It's not a 95-5. God does not establish and create anything that does not succeed. You have a 100% chance of your marriage working if you follow it God's way. You try to do marriage your way, then all bets are off. It's not 100%. You don't have heaven backing you. And how many know that's kind of a good deal? Like having heaven back you is kind of good security. And as long as we do marriage God's way, we have a 100% chance of it succeeding. It's not a flip of the coin toss. So we take these principles in Genesis 2, 24 through 25, and it says this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother. You know, God spoke this right after he created Adam and Eve. Isn't it funny that Adam and Eve don't have a mother? But God said, that is why man leaves his father and mother. So before mothers even came on the scene, God was laying out this foundation. That's how we know it's for us today. If it was just for Adam and Eve, he would not have included the mother portion. No big deal. It's for all of us. There is no marriage that is exempt from these four laws. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife. A man leaves. Point number one, as I talked a few weeks ago, is the law of pursuit. No. Thank you. Point number one is the lie. Correct. You passed. Good. You're absolutely good. Uh, the law of priority, because if marriage is not in first place, it's in no place. Marriage only works in first place. It doesn't work beneath your career. It doesn't work beneath your kids. It doesn't work beneath your financial statements. It doesn't work beneath anything else. Um, it has to be in first place if your marriage is going to be done God's way. There are a lot of people that try to have marriage not be the priority, and they get a marriage that results in not being the priority and then wonder what's gone wrong. That's point number one. Then we have this next phrase that says, some versions say, leave and cleave. And as I've said every week, the only thing I thought about cleave as a kid growing up was cleavage. I didn't know what cleave meant. In fact, our, our words don't really grasp what the, 
the text is saying here, but we do know that in the Hebrew, debak, cleave, means to pursue with high intensity, to chase after, to run after. So that's the second law, the law of pursuit. If you want your marriage built on a solid foundation, God's way, you have to pursue her. You have to pursue him. And it's a, it's a daily thing. It works on the, the manna principle, right? The children of Israel went out in the wilderness. God provided manna. The Bible says every morning they woke up and there was manna. At first they were excited. So what did they do? They collected a lot of manna and they stored it in the tent. But it grew old and it, it bred worms and it began to stink. And God said, you don't need to do that. I'm not expecting you to live on yesterday's manna. I, I'm wanting you to go and pick up manna every day. Like it's a daily pursuit. In fact, this is one of the misconceptions, the wholehearted pursuit misconceptions that I want to tell you about. Is positive events should fuel the marriage for a long time. This is a misconception. Positive events should fuel the marriage for a long time. For our projection, that's point number three, the wholehearted pursuit. It works on the manna principle. Ladies get this. Ladies tend to get this. They get that it's a daily thing. Us guys, though, we think that marriage works in a point system, right? Ladies understand if he did dishes today, that doesn't mean that we don't want him to do dishes tomorrow. Sorry, Murphy. Um, it's a daily, it's a daily thing. We have to pursue, pursue daily. Guys, we tend to think it's all based on points. Like, oh, I, I did dishes, I get two points. I massage your feet on, on, on a good day, maybe three points. On, on a, ooh, you've been walking day, maybe five points. We get her jewelry. Oh, we think that that's going to be points for days. Days. We take her to Italy. Oh, that, that is going to last for weeks. But I'm here to tell you, guys, no matter how big of a thing you do for her, all points evaporate at midnight. You go to bed, midnight hits, points gone. You wake up in the morning, had a good night's sleep, open your eyes, she's standing over you. What are you going to do today? <laughs> Dishes. <laughs> Positive events should fuel the marriage for a long time. That is a misconception. If we want the foundation of pursuit, we have to get off the point system and understand every day is a new day to breathe life into your marriage and to wow your spouse and to pursue them even more. Another misconception that we have in the wholehearted pursuit is if I marry the right person, the emotions will automatically be there. If I marry the right person, the emotions will just be there. That, that's a misconception. Listen, I know that you single people are wanting your soulmate. I got news for you. Your soulmate is really messed up. And you only believe their soulmates in the initial meeting, first few dates, first couple of months, if you're lucky, years of marriage. Then you realize marriage takes work. 
The best marriages that I've seen and known are, are marriages made of two very different people. I mean, my marriage, for example, Carrie and I, you could not find two more polar opposite different people than Carrie and I. It's, she'll tell you, we were laughing about this last night. We were looking at, we're kind of into the, the personality profiles and the tests and all of that. We do them all and we, we actually have an app now with all of our kids and us and, and the strengths and weaknesses of everyone so that we, any conversation we go into, if we get concerned, we can re remember, oh yeah, Addison does this or Michaela does this or Lawrence does this or Michaela does. So we head, head into the communication fully aware. We're, we like to think we're a very self-aware family. And last night we were looking at Carrie and my profiles. We're totally opposite. And every, the spectrum of every personality test were totally opposite. How many of you have heard of the DISC personality, D-I-S-C? Carrie and I, totally opposite. Um, Enneagram, anyone familiar with the Enneagram? Totally opposite. I am a brilliant four. She is a clever eight. She is an eight. We are, I am a four. Uh, our marriage should be fireworks, um, and it's not in the way that it, they think that it should be. We have a fantastic marriage. We leverage it well. We're just totally different. Uh, how many of you have heard of the Myers-Briggs? All right, any INFPers in the house? I, are you really, Pedro? INFP, I bet you are. Any INFPers? Yes, I'm an INFP. Uh, so I know you guys are good people, uh, for sure. And Carrie is the exact opposite. So she's not INFP, she is E S P J S T L M N O P Q. What is she? E S T J. I don't know what that means. It means Carrie. It means absolutely different than me. We are so different. Yesterday, when we went to the wedding, we took two different cars because I had to be there at a slightly separate time than she did. And and uh, her and the boys were doing other stuff, so they were having to leave a few minutes after me. And so I get there, and I ask her, don't know why I asked her this, I never asked her this, but I said, hey, which way did you come? And she said, oh, I went this, I said, did you come down Heather Wild? And she goes, no, my GPS took me down 685. Our GPS even takes us different ways because they know that we're so polar different. Like, it's crazy, we, we are different, but that's good news for you. Because no matter how different you feel from your spouse right now, you have an example that it can and should work. Like it can work. If I marry the right person, the emotions will automatically be there. That's not true, that's a misconception. You will not wake up every morning and turn over and just look at him and go, wow. <laughs> wow, I am one lucky girl, right? I mean, do you? Well, I mean, my wife does that. <laughs> the best marriages have high goals and high work ethic. So many people dream of a solid marriage, a successful marriage, but they won't put in the work. I can't tell you the number of marriages that I counsel and I, I refer them to someone who knows what they're doing, a, a marriage counselor. Because I'm not a marriage counselor, I'm, I'm a pastor. 
I can help you spiritually. I can tell you what the Bible says about marriage. I can get you on the right track. I have a lot of experience. I can lay out everything I've done wrong, and hopefully you can grow from that. But at the end of the day, I'm not a marriage counselor. And 95% of the people that I counsel in their marriage, I refer them to a counselor who's trained in it because I believe in marriage that much. I believe in counseling, Christian counseling that points to Christ, not secular uh, psychology that points to... Thank you. <laughs> Get this kid on my writing team. He can finish my sentences. Um, so where was I before Sammy left off? <laughs> Sammy, can you just come finish my sermon for me? No, I'm just kidding. But you're right, you're right, right. Christian counseling, I, I believe in it, but I refer people to counseling because I just I feel like that's important. Carrie and I, our marriage was rescued from counseling. We went to counseling for a year. Early on in our marriage, Christian counseling, we put in the work. You can't dream of a healthy marriage and not do something different. If you do the same thing you've always done, you're going to continue to get the same thing you've always gotten. You've got to work harder. You've got to put in more effort if you want your marriage to change. The third misconception is if my emotions change toward my spouse, I must have married the wrong person. That's totally false. If you're in the room, if you're watching online years from now from our archive videos or sermons, I just want to tell you, it really doesn't matter what your emotions feel. I can't depend on my emotions. And just because I I don't feel the, the warm fuzzies or the butterflies or, you know, that, that moment when he walks by and, and you smell his clone and you don't have that little pitter-patter in your heart or, or she walks by and, and that, that hair, the whiff of hair, the tuft of hair that blows in the wind doesn't make your heart skip a beat. That doesn't mean that you've married the wrong person. This is a long game. Marriage is a long game. You don't win in the short run. You don't win by sprinting to the end quickly. You win by suiting up and showing up day in, day out, whether you feel good, whether you don't, whether you feel the emotions, whether you don't, in sickness and in health, richer or poor. You just keep showing up. You win at the end. And hopefully we find some wins and some victories along the way. And you will and you should. But in those moments when your marriage feels like it's in a valley, that's not when you walk away. Because then what you take into the next relationship is an unwillingness to find the next mountain. I, there's a saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. I have three, three things that I like about that, three sayings. The first is, if the grass looks greener on the other side, it's time to water your own yard. The second one is, if the grass looks greener on the other side, the water bill is higher. And then the third one is, if the grass looks greener on the other side, that just means you can't see the poop from here. It's a good one. The fourth misconception about the pursuit, then I've got, I've got to get through the last two points so I can finish out this sermon. But fourth misconception is when we have no emotions and we seemingly have fallen out of love, there's no way to get the emotion back. That's simply not true. 
I know that we're not led by emotions, but just because you don't currently have the emotion, it doesn't mean it never returns. It will return. And quicker than you think, if you will do what Revelations 2, 4 through 5 says, God is telling the church, you had, you've forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you feel like you're falling out of love, by the way, I don't believe that people fall out of love. I believe that they choose to step out of love. So that's some comfort. You're not going to wake up one morning and be like, oh my God, Pedro, I've fallen out of love. How do I fix it? What do I do? No, I've chosen day by day, and it may be a slow fade that I can't identify until I wake up that morning and realize I'm no longer in love. But it's a choice that I've made to step out of love. But just because you have chosen to step out of love does not mean that you can't repent. What does repent mean? Change course. In Revelations 2, 4 and 5 says, do the things you did at first. You know, the, the things that, that caused you to fall in love. Dr. Don Litchie, I think is his name. He says, couples stay together when they lay together, pray together, and play together. Lay together is sexual intimacy. It's physical needs. Play together is emotional. Have fun together. No wonder you're, you're, you're seemingly falling out of love. You don't have fun anymore. You're too worried about the pantry and the bills and the kids and the soccer schedules. Have fun. Go, go out in the rain. Get your wife out there. Or probably this is not good for the guy to do. Get your husband out there and then surprise them with a mud fight. Like have fun. You would have done it then and thought it was silly. Why, why, why not now? Have fun together. The next step I, I want to share with you comes from verse 20, 25. Can I see the verses again? Sorry. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. The end of 24 is the third law. The law of possession. They become one flesh. The law of possession. This may seem elementary, seems like a no-brainer. I get it, but stay with me. I'm going to take you somewhere, hopefully. Marriage is about sharing. Everything you own before the marriage is now shared. Everything. Every, everything. Everything you bring to the table is shared. All of your past decisions, past mistakes, past failures, past relationships, past successes, past accumulations, everything, past debt, everything comes to the table when you get married. The law of possession says that you now become one. And I don't know if I have any blended families in the room, but I know that at some point blended families will listen to this sermon. So I want to encourage you. You have to make the decision to become fully one. Oftentimes, we see in blended families this Venn diagram where there are two circles, and the two circles overlap. We've got his section, her section, and then our section. Once you say, I do, there is no Venn diagram. There's just one circle. It's not his kids and her kids. It's our kids. If you want your marriage to flourish, you have to give the other spouse 
full ownership of your kids. How do we violate the law of possession? There are three ways that we violate. Can we hold off on keys? There are three ways that we violate the law of possession. Sorry, I know that's a real awkward transition, but I can't go through the rest trying to land the plane with music. Otherwise, you keep thinking I'm doing an altar call, and I just need to get this information to you. Is that okay? All right. Um, You were playing beautifully. It's It's not you, it's me. There are three ways that we can violate the law of possession, all right? The first is by dominance, dominance. Dominance is uh, through personality, intimidation, manipulation. It's this philosophy that I'm not going to share. I'm not going to share the decision-making power with you. I'm going to dominate where we eat, where we sleep, what bills to pay when. I'm going to dominate what we purchase when, whether you get the dress when or whether you get the new truck when. Like, it's my decision. Listen, Carrie and I have been married 25 years, and we don't stay married 25 years happily by declaring that you're the boss. Carrie and I never have arguments over who's the boss because we both know that Jesus is the boss. There, there is a spiritual notion that the male is the spiritual leader, and we balance that very, very well, especially for a four and an eight. We are pretty brilliant at that. But we understand that there is no domination going on in our home, whether by personality or position or title. To the degree that there is dominance in your marriage, the inverse satisfaction will be there. So the more dominance you have in your relationships, not just marriage, by the way, this can be siblings, between parents, between coworkers, anything. Dominance, ooh, I should do a series just on dominance because that is something of the enemy in and of itself. But to the degree in your marriage that there is dominance, there will be that degree in lack of satisfaction. It's very important that we understand This law of possession is not about dominating the relationship, but it's about give and take, mutual submission one to another. The second way that we violate the law of possession is by independence. Independence. We love to raise our kids to be independent. I know that I don't personally want to have to spoon feed my kids at the age of 18, right? I want them to learn how to pick up a fork and feed themselves. Definitely they need to know how to wipe themselves. Definitely need to know how to get a job and pay bills and budget a checkbook. Uh, Do we still have those? I don't know. Uh, But I want my kids to be independent. The problem is independence doesn't really work in marriage. Independence goes against this law of possession that the Bible so clearly uh, echoes all throughout Scripture. Marriage is not about independence. It's about interdependence. It's about leaning in one to another. It's not about, I'm going to take care of myself, whether he show up or not, whether she show up or not, I'm going to take care of myself. That's not marriage. Marriage is being vulnerable enough to know that you actually need that person, that God has placed them in your life because there is a gift inside of them that you need for that season. 
season being the rest of your life, till death do us part. There's something that we need. Independence is great. Marriage is re really difficult on selfish people. It's really hard. M marriage is really hard on wounded people. People that have built walls. And listen, in our culture, we really love to push, I'm a self-made man. No, you're not. I, I don't know one self-made man. A every person that is worth anything has had countless people pouring into them. Loving them, championing them, encouraging them. Like, I, I value hard work and your ethic and your character and integrity. That will take you far. But listen, no, no matter where you are, you didn't get there alone. Independence will destroy the law of possession. The third one is protection. If you are so concerned about protecting someone or something from your spouse... Your marriage is not going to thrive. A good example of this is a prenuptial agreement. I don't believe, you can take this as my opinion if you want. I just believe that this opinion is scriptural. I don't believe that prenuptial agreements are biblical. I don't think it, I think it violates the law of possession. Meaning if I bring into the marriage this accumulation of wealth, um, everything I have becomes now with this person. Take, for example, an aquarium with exotic fish. If in the prenuptial agreement you say, oh, I don't want to lose the aquarium with exotic fish, so I'm going to say that if ever there's a divorce, if ever, ever there's a separation, I'm going to keep the aquarium. That's wonderful. The problem is, every time your spouse passes the aquarium, they know that you value the aquarium more than them. And you're planning the end from the beginning. The problem with that is that God says he plans the beginning, plans the end from the beginning. So when we do that, we step into the role of God in our life. Oh, but pastor, I've got so much accumulated, you know. I've, I've worked my entire life. I've got a lot on the table. I stand to lose an awful lot. That doesn't sound like wise counsel. I get it. If there were a divorce, you would lose a lot it would hurt a lot. So maybe that's motivation for you to make the marriage work. My final point. <laughs> Comes from verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked and they've felt no shame. You know, they were naked until the fall. Until sin entered, they were naked. Now, I'm not suggesting that we create a, 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 a naked church. I'm not suggesting that you walk around naked in your home with the blinds open. I believe actually that there's something deeper here that the Lord is saying through this text. They were naked when, when sin came in into the earth. The Bible says they covered their genitals with fig leaves. Hmm. Their genitals, the most sensitive parts of them. 
I suppose the law of purity, the final foundational law, is so critical because without intimacy, purity, wholeness, oneness in your marriage, you don't actually have a marriage. When you're living your marriage in purity, you can expose your differences and share all the sensitive areas of your marriage with your spouse without shame. When you are living in sin, or maybe we could call it sinning against your spouse, all of a sudden you have to be careful what you share. You, there's not trust in the relationship. You know, sinning against your spouse. In other words, like deleting text message history, clearing the internet browser. Or choosing to use, now, now you don't even have to clear a browser, right? You can just go to this, uh, what is it? Incognito. Like, what'd you say? Okay. It's really freeing to, at 25 years in our marriage, I can't say that our marriage has always been this way, but I'm very grateful that I can say this at 25 years in, that there is absolutely zero secrets on the table. Zero secrets, and it feels so good. It feels good, it, feel, it feels so good. There, there are many things that Carrie and I haven't encountered in our relationship, right, baby? Like, we've not had infidelity, we've not had pornography, we've had other things, things that I've sinned against her, she sinned against me, and communication has always been a, a huge problem in our marriage. Help me rephrase that, because I know I just said that wrong. I felt the antenna go, no, Trey, you said that wrong. That's why we went to counseling was communication. And that's such a foundational part of marriage. A lot of things spurred out of that. Anyway, I don't have time to get all into all of that. What, I, what I'm trying to say to you is that it's really good to be naked, you know? Like just really, truly emotionally naked, unafraid, not having to cover parts of my heart, wounds, thoughts, behaviors, insecurities. It's good. It's good. And some of you right now, you're feeling your heart racing a bit, your, your, your breathing has shallowed just a bit because you're afraid that I'm gonna take it there and you're right, I'm gonna take it there. I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna challenge you to remove the power from the secrets. But pastor, what if she leaves me? But pastor, what if, what if he leaves me? I can't tell you the outcome, but I can tell you that when you do things God's way and you step, step up to the plate and be a man of integrity, a woman of integrity, woman of character, and you have the hard conversations, I know some of you, some of you right now, you were thinking, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. I'm telling you, you can do this. Because what you're in right now is not a marriage, it's a sham. Marriage has to 
abide by the law of purity, being totally vulnerable, totally honest with one another. If you don't want to share these things with someone, call the office. We'll sit in with you. We'll help walk you through this journey. We'll help get you in counseling. But I believe that the, the kickoff to marriages being healed, the thing that the enemy is scared of right now is you finally making the decision to walk in the light rather than in the darkness. I know you've been trying to stop. I know. I get it. I know you never meant to go there. I know. I, I get it. The Bible says when we confess to him, our sins are forgiven. You're going to heaven. Don't worry about it. I know you have begged and pleaded and cried and you have asked for forgiveness and you have repented over and over. But like a dog to his vomit, you continue to go back and you can't make heads or tails of it. It doesn't make sense. I know. I've been there. Because what happens, the catalyst for healing, lasting healing, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. So we ask God for forgiveness and you're in right standing, but someone needs to know every detail of your life. The more that you keep it bottled up and you keep it hidden and you try to just manage it and do it yourself, the more it has a hold on you. So I wouldn't suggest doing that over at lunch in Chewy's. Pick the right time. Get some godly counsel before you do. But I want to challenge you to get a vision for your marriage because God has so much more for you. Amen? Will you stand to your feet? You know the original sin in the garden? This is totally uh, off topic, and I, I promise I won't keep you standing for long. The original sin in the garden was blame transfer. You ever thought about that? God walks in and says, what happened? What, what'd you do, Adam? Adam, come on. Oh, Eve made me do it. He shifts the blame to Eve. Then what does Eve do? She shifts the blame to Satan. Well, the, the serpent told me to do it. I, I am excited that in this service, someone in the room took ownership of their situation. They stopped shifting the blame because it's in that owning the situation that God has the freedom to bring change. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the hope that is in the room. God, I understand that there are people here who have been crying out to you to rescue them. And God, I thank you that your word tells us that there is no temptation that has come to man that you have not overcome and that you will not provide a way of escape. And so, God, there may be some hard conversations to be had, but I know that on the other side of that is such sweet victory. So, God, I just pray a blessing, a covering over every marriage right now in the name of Jesus as we wrap up this series until death do us part. God, I just ask that you would renew within us, stir within us a, a desire, a hunger to place marriage as a priority in our life, the number one priority, to pursue our spouse like never before. God, that we would just 
understand there is purity in honesty, vulnerability in communication. God, I thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap this morning, afternoon? God bless you.